What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast here on YouTube. And if you're listening around the world, welcome to the show once again. I'm your host, Chris Cato, and we're going to waste no time this week because we've got a lot of things to discuss. And of course, a few days removed from the very first race of the season. So happy to join me today is the fellow Backmarkers, Tyler McDonald, Shaker Barty. What's up, guys? How are you doing? I'm good. Nice to be back uh, in season now. And finally, we're able to talk about... Uh, some uh, on track for the one action. Yeah, I, I'm excited. It was, uh, yeah, hi, sorry. I'm just exhausted. I just got back last night, but I'm stoked to like, just watch the first F on race, talk to get, talk about it with you guys. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty interesting, you know? Yeah, and this is, of course, uh, a couple of days later than normal. We'd usually do a recap podcast, but just with schedules and shaker, like you said, you were away. This was the only day that we could really set things up. So that's why we wanted to get right into the show and discuss a lot of things. But one of the good things about doing this many days removed from the race is we actually have a lot more to talk about in terms of rumors and pit lane chatter and things like that. So plenty to get to there. But Let's start off in just maybe some general thoughts on the first race of the season before we get into the specifics. Tyler, let's begin with you. Long wait after the very long offseason in 2022 and then into 2023, but first impressions of the 2023 F1 season after 57 laps of racing in Bahrain. Yeah, uh, if you look, you know, other than the top two, um, I think it was a really intriguing race and you had a phenomenal weekend by Aston Martin. We thought you know, maybe they were going to do um, typically well just from testing, but I don't think anyone really expected them to to grab a podium. Of course, tough bounce for Charles Leclerc uh, having a, an engine issue and retiring out of the race, which promoted Alonso to third position. But um, if you take a look, I mean, there's some really good uh, mix of teams throughout the top 10. I mean, you have, again, other than the top two, um, one, two three, four, five, six teams plus the Red Bull, so seven teams total getting points on a weekend, which is phenomenal for F1 to have all a, a mix of all these different teams up in the top 10 as well. So um, positive start for that. I mean, the negative you can look at, Red Bull dominated the race with Max and Sergio. So um, although, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting to have um, that kind of podium battle for third place, we want to see uh, all those teams competing for wins as well. So hopefully that gap can close a little bit. Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Tyler. It was very exciting to see, you know, Aston Martin and Alonso get that third and Lance Stroll come back with what was like a double hand sprain uh, and, you know, come uh, come out in top uh, top 10 for the team uh, with no practice whatsoever in that new car, really. And yeah, yeah um, you know, some disappointments with Mercedes. I would have definitely liked to see them compete a little bit more, but it was nice to see uh, the, where they were. I know they can do. I know Total Wolf said they could do a little bit better, and like you said, disappointing for Charles Leclerc overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited for stopping one. It was kind of <laughs> exciting. I mean, it was expect. I I was I, I like I said I was away this weekend, so with a bunch of my like friends, and we were watching the F1 race in the morning all together. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I kind of know what's going to happen in this race with like some unexpected things with Alonso coming out on top, and like 
like sad to say it i was like i feel like one of the things that's gonna happen is there's gonna be a ferrari failure and they're like man don't say that i'm like <laughs> like i don't know man i just have like a gut feeling it's gonna happen and then it happened and i was like you know what i didn't really want it to but i just had a gut feeling that it was gonna happen but it was just weird man it was uh yeah, a lot of unexpected things with obviously, like you mentioned, with Red Bull and uh, Red Bull kind of dominating the race, which I was kind of expecting. I think you could see that Ferrari failure coming because just before the race, they had to replace the control electronics for Leclerc's car in the energy store. So I think it was a pretty good bet that some sort of failure yeah. was going to go down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's, uh, I guess, a story for uh, another time as well, because Boy, uh, yeah, Ferrari, definitely in some rough shape. But anyways, let's get on to some of the bigger topics. So we definitely have to talk about Fernando Alonso and his Bahrain brilliance. 99th podium in his career overall. And seems like he might even be adding to that total this year with how they started. But just some amazing overtakes. The race pace was incredible. And I have a little bit more on Aston Martin following the race that we'll do some analysis. But Tyler, I know you weren't with us during winter testing. So me and Shaker are always speculating, is the Aston Martin hype real? Where are they? Maybe they're just running really low fuel. Turns out the hype is real. The hype is definitely real. And um, of course, as Canadians, we are. Uh, we kind of have you know these ties to Aston Martin and the Lance Stroll and you know the Strolls in general. And if you guys haven't seen when uh, Lauren Stroll bought uh, um, uh, Force India and turned it into Racing Point, we actually got to go down and watch uh, and take part of the Racing Point launch. So if you're uh, with all this hype going on, if you're interested to see what the, the old Racing Point was like, go back and watch those videos. Pretty cool experience for us. But I mean, this is phenomenal to have a team come up and then finally it seems like Fernando made the right decision at the right time. I mean, he's been bouncing team to team, trying to figure out at first it was McLaren hoping they would do well, then Alpine. Uh, and then now finally, of course, Aston Martin, he seems to make the jump at the right time with their development. And this is something that Fernando's, you know, he has been saying if they continue the development like they did over winter testing, I mean, who knows what could happen. Uh, the way they've been doing it. And they've made some huge changes on the back end to help this uh, this car and the development as well. So it's awesome to see. And I mean, you have a, a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso uh, driving that car, providing some awesome feedback. I think this is a really good uh, winning combo that they're going to have with Alonso and Aston Martin. Yeah, I... I... I've never seen Alonso so happy on track. I know probably when he won the world championship, but I've never, you know, just to hear him say, oh, you know, this car is so great. Like while he's still, you know, he hasn't even finished the race yet. Uh, so that I, it was just really good to see Alonso up there. I think, I think everybody kind of felt the same way. I'm honestly just watching the highlights in the background right now with Alonso's overtake on Hamilton. It's beautiful. <laughs> what a battle that was, eh? Yeah. That was, that was, yeah, just amazing all around. And, I, you know, it's just great to see two world championships kind of go at it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to see uh, if, the, like you said, if they continue the development on that Aston Martin, if they're competing with the Red Bull. I'd love to see um, them competing with that Red Bull as well because it's just, it's just great to see, especially with, and we've got to talk about Lance Stroll as well. He's got no practice in that car just to come in and do what he did. Um, unbelievable drive from him as well for sure yep Lance Stroll is definitely the next topic because he deserves a huge shout out I know his teammates stole all the headlines but I think Stroll he's going to deserve a little bit of segment uh, on his own on this show in just a minute or two 
But yeah, that Alonzo battle there with uh, Lewis Hamilton, it was just amazing. And it was so cool to see a guy who's pushing 42. He's going to be 42 years old in July. But just the amount of energy and passion that he was racing with, it was more than most of the, the drivers on the grid who are 20, 15 years younger than him. And just the amount of grip that he had in the AMR 23, I mean, he almost ran into the back of Hamilton <laughs> and Sainz going into turn four just because he had so much grip. And of course, his teammate almost took him out on the first lap because he was trying to cut back move, but it was just raw racing and driving. I love to see that. I'm so, and he was the reason, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, after seeing where Verstappen and the Red Bull pace was, he was kind of the reason why I stuck around to watch the race and he made that so interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I also just want to mention, it seems like the Aston Martin, um, their tire life, the way they can preserve tires, it seems a lot better than the other the other cars as of right now. I mean, lots of people were screaming about tires and it seemed like, you know, Fernando and, and Stroll were pushing and still had life in the tires, you know, when it was falling off a cliff for other teams. But, you know, that's when they really seem to take advantage as well. So that might be a little bit of a storyline to follow in the next few races just to see if that tire life continues uh, to be a topic where they have a huge strength. Yeah, yeah, it definitely would be. Uh, just because it's going to be totally dependent on on uh, the temperature as well and depending on what tracks and stuff they go to. Uh, it seems like they got everything right on this track um, in terms for, for Aston Martin for sure. Uh, but yeah, I'm interested to see where that goes. And I just, I just, sorry, I'm just watching the signs overtake. Just, I just, <laughs> lot, just so good, man. <laughs> just every time I've like watched the highlights probably like three or four times. Just looks good every time. Um, but yeah. <laughs> now, we've been waiting for this for a while. Ever since he returned, we've been waiting for him to be in a competitive car. And if uh, finally, I mean, fingers crossed if it continues like this, looks like he finally made the right decision. But I'll ask the question before we move on to Lance Stroll. Just a couple of things here on Aston Martin. Tyler, which you mentioned in the post-race analysis video that I did, I just got some of the data and telemetry from F1 data, F1 data analysis on Twitter. Mirko, who joined us for one of the live streams. And the reason why the Aston Martin has such great tire wear and good race pace is because they have so much grip and so much downforce that the car produces that it's very easy on its tires. And they were really good even on the soft tire on the hard tire as well they were very strong and they have much better race pace at the moment than mercedes and i think that their race pace is even rivaling ferrari at the moment i think had he not had that opening lap sort of uh, mishap losing the two places he might have had the pace to challenge Charles leclerc i do think ferrari still has the second fastest car overall but it's not by a lot i do th seriously think ferrari is in trouble this season and we'll touch on them a little bit later but it's, uh, it's really impressive from, from Aston Martin. I'm just reading this uh, tweet here. This uh, German publication, Amos, who does uh, a lot of really good reporting from the pit lane and around the paddock. And their journalist, Michael Schmidt, was mentioning that an Aston Martin engineer told him that they did not want to be as good as the RB18, but better. When the car was in the wind tunnel, they realized they had reached all their targets and were, and were so surprised that they initially thought that they made a mistake in terms of the car being so strong. And uh, just a continuation here and quote, the AMR 23 is actually better than the RB18, but Red Bull has also improved compared to last year, about nine tenths of a second, which explains the gap between the two cars, which is now about a half a second when you look at the data. And uh, just furthermore, of the, one of the reasons why Aston Martin has made some, uh, some of the biggest leaps that we've ever seen in recent F1, this again coming from Michael Schmidt, that Red Bull lost seven engineers to Aston Martin in 2021 so just a little bit of the tidbits there as to why 
Aston Martin is so good at the moment. Minus 2.4 seconds quicker in qualifying this season than they were here last year. But yeah, and I mentioned the, the yeah, go ahead, Shaker. I was going to say, did they lose them or was that part of the Aston Martin sponsorship that was initially with Red Bull? <laughs> I think they like, definitely <laughs> lost some, yeah. Like, I feel like that was just like, nope, we're going to scoop these guys back here. <laughs> Go ahead, Doug. <laughs> no, no, I, I just like I mentioned the you know the amount of you know change there was in the back end for Aston Martin. I didn't realize it was seven people from from Red Bull. Oh, that's crazy! It's like a uh, I don't know, is that is that is that a first sign, a first shot of warfare between these two uh, organizations? So you're stealing seven guys from your side, and I mean it shows how much Red Bull, how much talent Red Bull has in the back end of development that you know. These seven, you know, obviously there's a lot more men and women involved, but you know, seven additions from Red Bull can help uh, help this car move up to a 2.4 seconds. So it's really interesting, and, and you know, you have to think of this um, quickly from uh, on Mercedes' point of view. You have you know a works team, you know, losing to a team that they supply the engine for. Um, so that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow as well uh, throughout the year. But just want to touch quickly on that. Yeah, and Tyler, maybe just uh, I'll uh, add on to your point there about the works team there, Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes is former number one of the air, well, excuse me, their former number one in the aerodynamics department also now works at Aston Martin, which uh, his name is, uh, I have it just here at the bottom, Eric Blandon. So Eric Blandon, formerly at Mercedes, now in the number one aero department engineer at Aston Martin. There you go. <laughs> It's a coup. It's a coup of of the entire paddock, is what it is, and it, it's turning out really well for Lawrence Stroll. Yeah, I, I mean, it, I I think sorry, Shaker. Alonso said it well. When Lawrence Stroll has a has a a vision, he doesn't settle until it's, the vision's completed. And I mean, clearly that's that's being shown. Yeah, I mean that's a very that's a very good point. And I mean, like in the end, he has invested so much money into F one already. Why back out now, right? Like he bought a team. I mean, you're not going to back out now after investing so much in the last five years and basically just ch- uh, turning an entire team around twice from uh, Force India to Racing Point to, you know, to Aston Martin. So he's done a good job. Tremendous job so far and an excellent start to the season. So let's see where their ceiling is going to be. I don't know if they'll be championship contenders this year. Probably not, but I think race victories for sure are in order at cer- certainly a lot of uh, tracks this season. So I'm excited. I'm exciting. This has added a very unique fold into the 2023 season. Okay, before we finish on the Aston Martin talk, we do have to talk about Lance Stroll because I think Lance Stroll deserves a separate video on his own for just one of the more remarkable drives in recent memory. And I've really tried to think of drivers who have come back from injuries. And I don't mean major injuries. For example, Nicky Lauda coming back from his accident or Robert Kubica. Those were very major life-threatening accidents that took much time to come back from. But I'm thinking just in recent injuries, you know, a driver a couple weeks out from a race or from the season gets injured and ends up driving anyway, and ends up driving as, as a result. And Stroll is just uh, one of the best stories so far of this season. Two broken wrists, had a broken toe as well. We're going to get into some of the details of his accident because we didn't know much about it heading into this season. But I'll just uh, take from his Instagram post here that he recently put out. 48 hours after my accident, 12 days before the first race, 
Dr. Jailer, excuse me, Dr. Javier Mir successfully operated on my right wrist following surgery. Um, they told him that he might be back for Jeddah if I worked hard and with a little bit of luck that he could race in Bahrain. And he raced in Bahrain that he did because he ended up going into P6 ahead of one of the Mercedes, qualified really well, just put up with so much pain throughout the weekend. And we just have to say, if you had any doubts of Lance Stroll's love and passion for Formula One and whether he deserves to be in the sport, I think they went away after this weekend. Absolutely. You know what that is? That's a good, tough Canadian kid right there. And we're <laughs> proud of Lance Stroll. We're proud to call him a Canadian after that performance, a gutsy performance, as they would call that here in Canada. It's unbelievable. I mean, two broken wrists. Fernando Alonso called him his hero. Um, I mean, that, that was pretty cool for, for Lance as well. And there was a cool little video. I'm not sure who produced it. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll send it and maybe you can find it, Chris. Um, but it was just a quick little recap of Lance's injuries and, you know, going into surgery, he had his two wrists all taped up and, and obviously in casts and, um, then his recovery and everything like that. I mean, he still had pins, I think in his, in his wrist while he was racing. So, uh, that's, that's unbelievable. And the pain barrier he would have to kind of put in the back of his mind while completing all those laps, it would be phenomenal. I mean, that's, that's a lot of pain that I'm sure he went through, especially in the last 10 laps or so. Um, so it, it just an unbelievable performance, but performance by Lance Stroll, uh, and you know, I know Alonzo won driver of the day, but I, in my driver day was Lance Stroll hands down, not even close. And, you know, if he's getting P six with two broken wrists, what's he going to do when he's fully healthy? I mean, that's going to be really interesting to see as well. Yeah, I know. I absolutely agree. I, I originally thought with um, with the formation lap, I think, it, and then his the initial first lap that he might have been out with the, with how the car was performing, but he really just pulled it right around, and the, the performance was unbelievable, Tyler. I agree. He was definitely my driver of the day as well because, what, testing was two two weeks ago? Um, that's when he got the initial injury, like right before that, and you got to, you know, that's – cast and recovery as well that's a quick turnaround time to come around and drive an f1 car not just be like a normal person drive a formula one car that's unbelievable um so yeah good for him and he had to go through a lot too just in the first three days of this grand prix weekend as well had a technical issue on friday which limited some of his running he was really sore after that friday as well which was to be expected he couldn't turn into some corners they had to help him get out of the car after one of the practice sessions and then starting of the race too of course he had the whole drama with his teammate and having to claw back positions and then the last 20 laps as well was a really physical struggle too after 57 laps around the circuit aston martin did help him a little bit they turned up some of the uh the steering assist rack and, and things like that on the car that helped but at at the end of the day, he's driving with two wrists that he broke not too long ago. So it, it's almost a, you could call a miracle for him to be racing in Bahrain. And of course, it was very important to get that P6 as well and start his season off well. And like you said there, Tyler, very curious once he gets healthy, probably won't be in Jeddah, but at least in Australia, if he's fully healed, what he'll be able to do along with his teammate, Fernando Alonso. So hats off to Lance Stroll. I think one of the best recovery drives in the last recent memory of formula one so very very impressive and i think uh, he deserved a lot of credit for for what he did this weekend so i was i was really impressed with lance stroll um so that's that's all the aston martin talk that we got for now i'm sure that they're going to be making an appearance on our podcast on a regular this season which is such a nice surprise 
But let's talk about what we discussed just a little bit off the top, which was the race winners, Max Verstappen and Red Bull. It was kind of hard to find them on Sunday in Bahrain just because Max was so far ahead. We didn't never really saw him until he crossed the, the checkered flag at the end of the race. But man, I got to ask maybe just a simple question and we can go from there. Is the 2023 championship already over? I mean, I'm not saying that. George Russell already thinks that. But I'm curious to know what you guys have to think because Verstappen won in dominant fashion and all of the rumors and chatter out of the Red Bull camp is they had turned down the engine. They had gone into an extreme management phase. Verstappen could have finished even a minute ahead had he been pushing at his optimal pace. So what do you guys think? Is, is it over? Is it a third championship in a row for Verstappen? I can't say it's over yet. It's race one. But does it look, you know, like it's like it's could be trending that way? Absolutely, um, which is unfortunate for the season. I mean, you want you always want a title battle, and if the rumors are true and Red Bull turned down the engines and everything like that, I mean, how fast are these guys? Is, is this uh, Mercedes dominance all over again? Except this time, it's Red Bull's turn. It's it's going to be interesting to follow. But I hope for F one's sake, it's not. Uh, completely over yet and, and you know Ferrari clearly had a lot of issues and I'm sure we'll talk about them shortly but you know if they can kind of figure out their issues hopefully they can push a little bit as well against Red Bull and, and you know Mercedes needs to really work hard to to recover from where they are now to where they need to be as well so um, I don't want to call it over Chris and, and hopefully Sergio Perez maybe has a, a different you know um, t- say on this as well and he fights and maybe this is his year to make an impact on the world championship um it's only race one let's see how we do uh you know maybe race seven race eight we can maybe call it (laughs) yeah i i don't think it's over i i think you know ferrari still's got pace um i think it's still gonna be very like track dependent and we'll see how it goes um i think they're the favorite like the favorites right now for sure but i i i i always believe mercedes is somehow just going to pull something and have some team performance you know a couple races in so there's still some time um and we don't know how you know we aston martin's only going to hopefully get better uh, not worse so um it, we'll see how it goes and i i totally agree i think sergio perez has got a lot to prove this season as well with daniel ricardo just sitting in that reserve driver's seat as well because i think this is the last year of perez's contract um, so yeah, it's good. It's going to be, um, it's going to be a very interesting season for Red Bull as well. If they can, I have a question, Chris, did they also turn down Perez's engine as well for like a go into for management mode or was it just Verstappen's? I believe I was just reading on Verstappen because he was just so far ahead. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm curious to see if, if that, if they did that for, uh, Perez as well and how his coat, because he, he, there was definitely some times he had some struggles going around people. And if that was, if the, he was probably in management mode as well, if Max can somehow be a minute ahead, if that was the case. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder too, is that, sorry, Chris, if that's, um, almost like a play against other teams yeah. be like, Oh, don't bother. It's over already. Yeah. You know, just kind of, <laughs> They, you know, one of those chirps that, that try to resonate throughout the grid as well. So maybe it's just some sort of mind play as well from, from Red Bull. I mean, I watched the first episode of Drive to Survive, and it's just Mercedes talking about how great their car is and how they're going to just dominate last year. So, I mean, we, they can, <laughs> we know what happened last year. So you never know. <laughs> 
Well, if you're not a Red Bull fan, then bad news because their car is better than it was last year and it's better in all areas. When we looked at the data and the telemetry from testing, we saw a good improvement in almost every area where even Red Bull were weaker last year, if they even really had many weaknesses with the RB18. So they have a very, very good car. And I definitely don't think it's over yet, right? I mean, it's the first race of 23. It'd be stupid to call it over at this point. But I think that a serious championship contention from other teams, it's it's going to be very, very difficult. Because think of last season, how it started. And Ferrari, we have to bring the Ferrari conversation into this now because they were the closest rival last season. And look at how far Ferrari have fallen behind even this season. I mean, put aside the DNF, even if Leclerc would have finished the race, he would have been miles behind Verstappen. And people saying, well, it's you know track-specific in Jeddah, we're going to be stronger, it's going to be closer... But if you want to win a championship, your car is going to be good everywhere. It's You can't just rely on going to track-specific you know, characteristics that's going to make sure that your car performs well. Your car's got to be good everywhere. And that Ferrari is worse than it was last year, unfortunately. And, I mean, for Ferrari, it's just what a disappointment. They focused all of the end of last season on reliability, on working on their tire wear issues. It seemed they had such high spirits in their launch and in the preseason their test was solid, nothing impressive, just really good running. And then they come to the first race, a DNF on Leclerc's car, race pace that is potentially worse than the Aston Martin. Carlos Sainz doesn't even end up finishing on the podium. I, I mean, I'm just kind of speechless at this point with Ferrari. Very disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, it's not where you want to see a Ferrari uh, obviously, it's better than the last few years, uh, you know, minus last year. But I mean, still, it's you know they've clearly been struggling. They struggled since uh, 20, 2014. so it's been almost ten years of of constant struggles for Ferrari. And you know, it, few people getting to F one are, are starting to realize like Ferrari. It's that's not a name for them that's synonymous with F one, and it, you know, it goes down as world championship as world champions. You know, people getting into F one think Ferrari are just. Uh, you know, third, fourth tier car, which or manufacturer, which is not what the history of F1 would say to you. So um, they have a lot of work to do, and you have to wonder what internal changes need to be made. Maybe if, if this season doesn't go right, you know, at the at the end of the year to try and you know do, do an Aston Martin and and gain two and a half seconds uh, on your on your times from last year. So some serious thinking needs to go on in the Ferrari camp. And like you said, Chris, it's only one race. Let's see how the other races go. But Charles Leclerc is already on a huge back foot with penalties to have to take later in the season. Yeah. I mean, if they're looking worse than last year, like, yikes. The, the reliability issues were a huge problem. You know, the hopefully the team, uh, you know, their team orders or whatever the issues were last year kind of fixes themselves because that was another horrendous issue as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like, like you said, it's, it's people who are coming in F1 and don't know the history of Ferrari, which I mean, a few of my, a few of my friends who have just started watch drive to strive who have no idea. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like disappointing to see and same with thing, you know, you could also say the same thing with Williams as well, but on the other hand, Williams had a pretty good performance for how their team have done in the last, last few years or so. So that was very good to see. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I, I think Ferrari, we say this every year, Ferrari could definitely do better, but hopefully some at some point they do do better. 
Yeah, let's hope. I mean, that's my worry is that we're going to get a runaway championship again with just one team dominating, which is not what we want, even though it's a different team and it's a different driver. We want the close competition. We want the, the whole season to be the way the first two to three races of last year kind of started. But if Ferrari aren't even there right now, I kind of see this being as a 2019 season. Remember when Mercedes had a 1-2 in the first seven to eight races of the year? And then after that, it started to get a little bit closer and Ferrari started to win some races. I think we might see that this year, with especially with Red Bull's aerodynamic penalties that they got, not being able to, to do as much testing this year. Aston Martin having a huge aerodynamic testing allowance because of finishing seventh last year. So I think we'll see it get much closer toward the end of the season. But I think the RB19 is going to be so good in the first 10 races of the year. They're just going to build this massive gap, shut down the project early because I'm already reading some things here we got from uh, RBR News on uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't know if I have the tweet in it right now, but they're already starting to think of working on the RB20. I think that's the plan for Red Bull is just to, to sprint away with the championship quickly and then start the work on the RB20 just to be able to, to make the resources available. So, I mean, we'll see, but I think Ferrari are, are in big trouble. I, I don't want to really disappoint the Ferrari fans out there. It's, you know, it would be okay to have a failure like Red Bull did last year in the first race of the season, but the pace is still there. But the pace isn't there this year. <laughs> and it might be closer if we get into Jeddah, but what's closer? Verstappen's only going to finish eight seconds ahead of Leclerc instead of 38 this time. So I don't know. It, it's going to be tough for them, I think, uh, which which is really disappointing because I really thought they would, they would make a next, another step this year, but I don't think that they have. So a anything else on Ferrari? No, uh, the only thing I could say, if the positive if you're a Ferrari fan, is that you're not a McLaren fan. <laughs> <laughs> or a Mercedes fan. Or a Mercedes fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's like you said, we don't want to see a runaway championship, but I mean, the last few years of Mercedes, or last two years, let's say, of Mercedes dominance, we still saw a little bit of a push from Ferrari and Red Bull against uh, Mercedes, so which made made it kind of interesting, right? So, but yeah, we definitely don't want to see a Red Bull dominance. We don't want to see all the other teams at least put somewhat of a performance and have other teams on the podium as well to make an inter interesting championship. And continuing on the topic of how the mighty have fallen, we move to Mercedes, who, after eight years of constructors' championship dominance and seven years of drivers' championship dominance. They've finally really fallen off the perch of Formula One. They had another very difficult weekend in Bahrain with Lewis Hamilton finishing in fifth and uh, George Russell finishing in seventh. But the pace of the W14 is way off the mark from Ferrari and certainly from Red Bull. And they're even behind Aston Martin now, their customer team, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. And Lewis Hamilton already kind of making some criticisms toward the team saying that he really expect, expressed his you know uh, problems with the W13 last year and that the team didn't really listen in terms of the direction of where this year's car went. They maintained the zero side pod concept. It's clearly not working for them because it's not something that they can extract the performance out of, but it's other areas of the car as well. And we think, you know, what happened? Why, why did they fall off so much? Because they used to be so dominant. And some of the answers here, this again coming from the German publication Amos and journalist Michael Schmidt, saying that some of the things that hurt Mercedes the most in the past few seasons is the fact that they lost the number one and the number two in their aerodynamics department. We talked about this earlier in the podcast. Their former number one aero department guy is now working at Aston Martin, and their number two guy is now currently at Red Bull. The change happened just before the transition phase from the old cars to the ground effect cars. So that was around 
2021 or so. And also keep in mind, James Allison, one of the key members of their team and of that Mercedes dynasty, he left in right around 2021. And he was an integral part of building some of the most dominant cars, not just in the Mercedes history, but in F1 history as well. And the rumors are swirling that now he is coming back into the fold to try and help out current technical director Mike Elliott and his de uh, department because they just really have fallen short with the design and everything else with that car because Mercedes at the moment are the fourth fastest car on the grid. And they're already talking about changing the philosophy and changing the design of their car just after one race already. So it's, uh, it's a very unique time in Formula One to see teams like Mercedes and Ferrari potentially falling behind a team like Aston Martin. And I think this was part of the goal with Formula One. You wanted to see uh, these midfield teams uh, be able to maybe get this advantage and to be able to you know play up with the big boys. It's just Red Bulls kind of dominated and turned this into, you know, if Red Bull was down with, with um, you know, even if anywhere closer to, to these guys, we would be saying, oh, what a great idea from, from F1. And it's worked in part. It's just Red Bull that has dominated so much. So um, you know, huge concern on the Mercedes side. And you have to wonder, you know, how drastic is are, are the changes going to be? How long do they wait for these changes? Um, and do they do they shift their focus to next year? And, you know, Lewis Hamilton wants to win an eighth world championship. We have to think about him. Is I know he signed a multi-year deal last year or was it the year before? The year before, so he's supposed to be negotiating a new one currently as we speak. So, you know, if the performance isn't there, it, you know, is, is that something that Lewis thinks of, of doing? So who knows what the future holds, um, but definitely a lot of work needs to be done in the Mercedes garage. Yeah, and didn't, um, sorry, just somebody else, uh, didn't the um, team strategist also leave from for, uh, Mercedes as well. I thought he ended up going to another team. Yeah, James uh, Vowles is now a team principal at Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's they, it seems like their entire, you know, back department kind of just got ripped apart there, which is, you know, with how the mighty have fallen. <laughs> it's kind of interesting <laughs> to see, but I, I really hope they can get it back together because like, you never want to see a team fall that quick. Um, um, and you never want to see... It seems like Red Bull started their development in their 2022 car years before, because um, I know it's, it seemed like they were already kind of working on it when the whole Honda Honda deal had come through. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. And keep in mind, too, the new budget cap and all of the restrictions that that places on. Mercedes used to be one of the biggest spenders in Formula One, and they always managed to bring upgrades seemingly race to race. And they used to be able to run two different types of cars in the preseason testing because of just the budget and the allowances that they had, and they no longer have that. They have to operate in much smaller window, which some of their rivals like Aston Martin, for example, are used to being such a small outfit for all those years. So very interesting. They've lost a lot of their key personnel. Like I said, those aerodynamic engineers that I mentioned, uh, some of their key powertrain members as well have left to other teams. And why they left, whether they got offered better deals, more money, or they just wanted a fresh start somewhere else, I don't know those details, but it just shows you just the amount of key personnel that has left Mercedes and you can kind of see their progress and their performance tail off with that. But they're very unhappy with the W14. And like you guys mentioned there, I think they're already seriously considering focusing on next year's car as well and just completely changing the development path or at least sacrificing the first half of the season in order for success later on. So 
yeah, Mercedes, uh, unfortunately, behind the eight ball at the moment and uh, staring down their rivals, not just in red and blue, but now green as well. So just before we wrap up the podcast here, you mentioned it earlier there, Shaker, and I'm glad that you brought it up because I think that this team deserves a, a lot of credit and uh, a particular driver as well that that I really wanted to praise. And we're talking about Williams, of course, finishing P10 for Alex Albon, P12 for Logan Sargent. Get that one point up there. Williams currently sitting seventh in the constructor's standings. But I really have to say I was super impressed with Logan Sargent, not just on Sunday for race day, but all weekend long. He tied Lando Norris's lap time in Q1, and unfortunately, Lando had set the time earlier, so Sargent was knocked out of Q1. But I just thought he, the American had a really solid weekend, and just continuing on from what was a very good test, and just seemed super comfortable in the car. Again, with all due respect to Nicholas Latifi, we were big fans of him, a, a fellow Canadian. But in one weekend, Sargent already looked much better than you know Latifi did on his best weekend. I hate to say that. So I'm really excited to see what Sargent can, can produce this season. I think he'll be up there for Rookie of the Year contention. Yeah, best of the rookies so far this year uh, in race one, of course, Sargent finishing 12th, uh, Nick DeFries finishing 14th, and uh, unfortunately for Oscar Piastri, a last after that technical failure there but um he raced very well and it's a great start for for williams who have not had a great start of course or a great few years uh, in the past and it's good for alex albon as well i thought alex had a, a really nice race as well it ended a good job um a couple of nice battles uh, throughout the race and uh, held off yuki sonoda at the end who was charging hard in that alpha tauri um it's a hold on to that that single point paying position as well. So a great positives for Williams, and we'll have to see how the next few races go. But um, looking like the right decision going to Logan Sargent as of right now. Yeah, I I think well I think Williams did amazing. Um, it was really nice to see Alex Albon fighting Yuki Sonoda as well because I knew probably felt a little bit you know a little fired up doing that against Red Bull. Um, but uh, no, it was it was really nice to see. I, I think one of the things that Alex mentioned before racing was that this year all he wanted to do was have fun. So I'm sure he's having a lot of fun finally getting in that uh, you know points position after a long time. Um, no, great for Williams. Also, a special shout out to uh, Pierre Gasly as well uh, from Alpine, who went from P20 to P8. Was that that's what it was, right? P9. P9. Yeah. No, incredible performance from him as well. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, what a tale of uh, of two separate sides of the garage there with Gasly finishing <laughs> ninth, and and I don't, I've never seen a driver get so many penalties in one race. Poor Esteban Ocon. I mean, that was just horrendous luck. I don't know what was going on, but it, there had to be something wrong with uh, either the telemetries of the cars. There was something wrong there because I, I just felt so bad for Esteban. <laughs> No, I, I agree. I've never seen so many penalties called. One for not taking it properly. Uh, I don't. There's just so many that ended up happening up within the first like 20 laps. I think it was 25 seconds in total. Uh, just you know, at that point, you just gotta like tap out, man. Just like save the car. <laughs> <Yeah>. like, Seriously, <laughs> like, your race is pretty much over at that point. You can't do anything about it. Just like save your engine. You know, it's not gonna happen. So. <laughs> Yeah, because he was pretty much, he was serving a penalty because he, it was like, it was so something crazy. He was like, he got a penalty because he was serving a penalty because he didn't line up properly for the penalty. Yeah, like so I think the first one was 10 seconds for causing the crash on the first lap. 
and then he went to go serve it and he didn't serve it properly so they gave him another 10 seconds oh. and then he went too fast going out of the pit lane or going into yeah, the yeah, pit yeah. lane another five seconds i think that's what it was right those three well i don't know i remember now his first one was because he stopped too far uh in his grid slot right at this formation lap (laughs) (laughs) just so unfortunate man just like such bad luck imagine what alonzo was thinking yeah speaking of penalties i didn't realize nico hulk just uh, a note here on the bottom of the standings uh for the race nico hulkenberg received a 15 second time penalty for multiple track limit violations i missed that one me too that came after the race or yeah so that's why nico finished 15 um interesting Hmm. i didn't know that was a I mean, it's kind of interesting to see that they're doing something about it. Maybe there'll be uh, FIA will be more consistent this season, guys. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> never, never know. <laughs> yeah, that's odd. I didn't. I honestly didn't hear about that one. But um, now that you mentioned it, I think uh, Haas and McLaren and AlphaTauri—they're really the they're two or three teams that we haven't talked about. But I just want to quickly touch on Haas. Really disappointing in Haas as well because mm. they have good qualifying pace once again and just horrendous race pace. I think it's another one of those seasons. It happened to them a few years ago when they'd have spectacular one lap pace and their tires were tires <laughs> their, <laughs> their tires would just melt during the race and just fall back on the order. I know Hulkenberg had that front wing damage, but his teammate Kevin Magnuson was struggling quite a bit, so uh, that's unfortunate for Haas. But I guess they got the Ferrari tire wear in the jeans so <laughs> they've got that going but um what, what else what other team can we talk about here before we we wrap uh, up go ahead yeah Tyler. i want to give a quick shout out to to alfa romeo uh maybe the best performance of, of a ferrari um or a ferrari customer team but uh valtteri Bottas showing some good pace in alfa romeo finishing uh, eighth i believe and uh joe guan yu with the fastest lap of the race uh a at uh, 133.996, uh, taking a point away from Pierre Gasly at the end of the race. Very and smart. that what will be a, a battle between Alpine and Alfa Romeo. So, I mean, if you, it's funny. You take a look, just look at the fastest laps of the race. I get to go all the way down in six to find uh, Max Verstappen. Um, and then, so first was uh, uh, Zhou Guan Yu in the Alpha. Second was Pierre Gasly. Third, Lando Norris in the McLaren. Uh, fourth, Logan Sargent in the Williams. And fifth, uh, Fernando Alonso. Um so some some interesting times there, but um, some positives out of the Alfa Romeo, who looked kind of bleak during winter testing. Um, but Valtteri Bottas did say in, to the team, "I you know I know there's points in this car, and he drove a very good race as well." So um, kudos to Alfa. Does Joe get that fastest lap though? Because I thought you had to be top ten finish to get the point. He doesn't get a point. That's all. So he just he gets a fast slap, but just doesn't get a point. So it just Did really just taking a point away from the world championship. In yes, general. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, okay. That's yeah, no good for the. It is kind of odd though those fastest lap times. I guess it's consistency, right? Nobody could keep it up towards like a like a serious amount of time to to make any progress. But yeah, good for Alpha Romeo. I think they had really good performance. Um, nice to see Valtteri still fighting. Um, I'm sure he's very happy to you know be that outstanding Ferrari works team driver at the moment <laughs> yeah and uh i mean you know Valtteri only finished uh, one position behind a mercedes so um russell finishing seventh Valtteri eighth so he's right there with this uh, team he would have been with 
Yeah, yeah, he's right there in the mix with it. And uh, yeah, certainly currently eighth in the championship, but obviously many more races to go. But let's finish with McLaren. If you're a McLaren fan out there, <laughs> I know it was uh, flashbacks to 12 months ago and a similar type of weekend, but uh, kind of a disastrous start for McLaren. You had Oscar Piastri, like you mentioned there, Tyler, earlier, had a technical issue, had to retire from his first ever F1 race. And then you had a pneumatic pressure failure on Lando Norris's car, which he ended up having to do, I don't know, about like 55 pit stops in the race. Um, I mean, he got a good look good look at the pit lane uh, in Bahrain, so he knows it pretty well by now, but uh, he ended up finishing well down the order. But there is some good news if, if you are a McLaren fan. Their race pace actually wasn't as bad as initially thought. I mean, if you remember to the end of the stint there, he was really kind of hanging on the back of Lewis Hamilton there in the battle with Fernando Alonso and other drivers as well. So the race pace is actually not too bad for McLaren. I think that if they bring some upgrades, they'll be able to recover. But the first few races are going to be uh, a little bit rough and and certainly not where they want to be, especially it was not that many years ago they were finishing in the top three of the championship. Yeah, it, no, exactly. And I, I did take a look at the pit stop summary and uh, it was a total of six pit stops for Lando Norris <laughs> oh, uh, in that race. So that's a... Uh, a lot of pit stops and it looks like it was about every seven to 10 laps for Orlando uh, throughout that race. So that's a, again, hard to get a, um, a groove going when you're in the pit lane every seven to 10 laps. So um, yeah, it's really disappointing for McLaren, but let's see how um, they shape up next to next race in, in Jeddah and, you know, maybe they, you know, if they could work on reliability and just kind of finish the race without any issues, I think that'd be a win in Jetta for for McLaren. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a McLaren fan, and it was kind of disappointing to see, but yeah, it's it's just sad, man. You know, they were in such a good spot with signs, and um, you know, a few years back, I know that's probably like three years ago now. I say signs because obviously that whole Daniel Ricardo thing did not work out. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just the progress just like has, it's kind of like stopped as of like the last like year. Um, and it's kind of disappointing to see, it seems like, you know, they didn't really make that jump to the 2022 car, obviously. And just, you know, I'm, I hope they really step it up because, um, I, I love to see Landon Norris compete a little bit more. One of my favorite drivers on the grid in terms of, uh, you know, he just, he just seems like a nice guy. Well, and now we go to a totally different circuit, the high-speed track of the Jeddah Corniche circuit in Saudi Arabia. It's really high speeds, and it's about the top speeds as well. So it's going to be very different than the Bahrain International Circuit. My prediction, really, I think we're still going to see the Red Bulls the strongest. Whether that gap is closer, I'm sure it will be closer. I think that that track, obviously, there's more of an emphasis on the front tires working the car. It's not a rear-limited circuit like, excuse me, like Bahrain is. So I think it's going to help with Ferrari's tire wear a little bit. You know, I think the Ferrari uh, has a, a little bit limited slip angle and they tend to understeer just a little bit more, which is better for tire wear. But then again, Jetta is a place that you don't necessarily don't want understeer because there's so many walls close to you. But I think we'll see Red Bull strong again as well. I do believe Aston Martin is going to be very strong here too, just because they have so much cornering grip. They even have better cornering grip than Red Bull at certain, certain corners in Bahrain. So... I think Aston Martin is going to be strong here once again, but I, I just whether the championship is going to be a blowout this year. I just think the Alonso and the Aston Martin thing to me is could be the best thing that's happened in F1 in recent years. And if he can contend for podiums 
And if he can just fight the way that he did with Hamilton and with Sainz, I just want to see a battle with Verstappen because I think that would be just utterly outstanding if we could see that. But to me, he might save this season if we get a runaway championship. That, those are my closing thoughts, really. <laughs> Yeah, no, I would agree. And the, the nice thing about Jeddah, and there, I mean, there's not many nice things, but um, is that, you know, it is a track that will, you know, have a lot of unpredictability with how close those walls are. Of course, they've had uh, some changes to the track layout and, and to give the drivers a better kind of perspective and um, on the exits, the corners and everything. But it's still a pretty dangerous circuit in terms of uh, if you go go wrong one in one spot, you're, uh, you're going to be probably out of the race. So that is the, the nice thing that Jetta does throw up there is that we could have some surprise DNFs, um, some surprise crashes, and uh, it could really throw a wrench into the standings in the uh, what we see at the end of the race. So I'm uh, always interested to see that, and who knows what we're going to have on our podium. But uh, hopefully, like you mentioned, that quartering speed with the, uh, with the um, Aston Martin was phenomenal. I mean, they were destroying Red Bull in Sector 2, really. So uh, I think it was Sector 2 in Bahrain. Um, so that that's, that's a huge positive, and hopefully the, that high-speed uh, quartering can come out in Jeddah as well. Yeah, I, I'd love to see it. Um, especially, I think, last year in Jeddah, there was a lot of safety cars as well. So hopefully that means a lot more close racing uh, between all the drivers as well. If there's more safety cars in play rather than, uh, you know... Um, so I'd love to see that, uh, especially will provide more, uh, more from more to see from Alonso as well. Um, so yeah, yeah, it should be exciting. That race will be happening in about a week's time once this podcast gets released, and we'll be going uh, racing for uh, the second time this season, and then afterwards on Australia. But a little bit of a break in between with these uh, first couple of races of the season. So we're looking forward to it. We'll have the uh, preview to that race coming out uh, midweek next week. And then, of course, uh, more videos following the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, including this podcast as well. And like I said off the top of the show, because we could only get our schedules arranged this way, it's a little bit later than what we usually do for a race recap. But nonetheless, better to get a podcast out there than to get not one at all. And we always love doing these podcasts after a race too, just because there's so much to discuss. But very excited to be back doing race recaps this season. First one is in the bag for hopefully first of 23 this season in 2023. Gentlemen, I will leave uh, any final thoughts to you before uh, we sign off for tonight. Uh, let's hope for a closer representation of, of this championship than what we saw in race one. And hopefully have a, a great season with uh, some drama in there as well. Yeah, I will hope to see a little more closer driving. Um, I, I, I generally hope for a better performance from Haas in the next race. I, I hope, you know, I, I really like Nico Hulkenberg and I want to really see him, you know, at least get one podium in his life. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'll be all to play for in Jeddah in uh, a few weeks, a few days time, actually, I should say. So, Tyler and Shaker, thank you very much for joining me from Ottawa, Canada for this episode. And thank you to everybody out there as well who tuned in to watch or listen to another episode of the BMF One Show podcast, episode number 134. And of course, if you do enjoy these podcasts, make sure to subscribe, whether it's on YouTube or any of the favorite podcast players out there that you like to listen to us make sure to follow us on social media as well all of those links can be found in the description and of course we'll be with you throughout the 2023 2023 season with exclusive content with a little bit of a north american twist 
from the three of us. So for Tyler and Shaker, I've been Chris Cato this episode. Thank you guys for joining us again. We appreciate it. And we'll see you soon again. Bye.